I'm Josh Hammer, and this is America on Trial. There is a ton going on out there, so without further ado, let's hop right into Around the Horn. We begin in Washington, D.C. If you recall, it was on Monday, as anticipated, that was the deadline for Donald Trump's lawyers to formally petition the U.S. Supreme Court to stay the three-judge D.C. Circuit panel's finding of no presidential immunity in Jack Smith's sprawling election interference, so-called overturn the 2020 election probe there in Washington, D.C. The D.C. Circuit panel had denied President Trump's claim of immunity, the effect of which would be to quash, to essentially nullify and get rid of Jack Smith's prosecution there. Trump then went up to the Supreme Court on Monday to formally request a stay, as everyone anticipated. At that time, the Supreme Court gave Jack Smith one week to respond. They gave him one week to respond to that stay, and he took two days. He filed that response to the petition to stay on Wednesday at the Supreme Court a lot quicker than I think many of us anticipated. So it's a lengthy filing. The crux of it is this. Jack Smith writes, quote, the public interest in a prompt trial is at its zenith, where, as here, a former president is charged with conspiring to subvert the, the electoral process so that he could remain in office. The nation has a compelling interest in seeing the charges brought to trial. So he's really trying to hammer home here this notion of a speedy trial being in the country's interest. On the other hand, on the other hand, you you obviously have to consider that this is unprecedented, that we are in uncharted waters here when we are dealing with prosecuting a former president of the United States to begin with, let alone trying to prosecute a president of the United States for something as grandiose and sprawling as Jack Smith's legal theory of the case in this federal probe in D.C., which is that Donald Trump was was effectively the head honcho in a mafia-esque sprawling national criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. That really is the what Jack Smith is is saying there. And the Supreme Court justices are going to have a, a very, very interesting decision to make here. On the one hand, and look, and, and, and let's step back for a second. Anyone who says that the Supreme Court justices or federal judges in general do not pay attention to the news cycle and that they are wholly dispassionate and don't care about what's going on or, or the presidential election or that, total hogwash, absolute crazy nonsense. There, there is no one more quote-unquote political in the country than the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts. If you do not recognize that by now after surveying his handiwork ever since the Obamacare decision, the NFIB versus Sebelius case of 2012, I have no idea what planet you are living on or what you are smoking. I fully anticipate that all of that is going to come into the Supreme Court justice's decision as to what to do with this case. On the one hand, on the one hand, the Supreme Court's instincts for staying out of the fray and for not getting, quote unquote, politically involved could militate in favor of of a stay and could definitely militate in favor of a stay that would then allow the Trump legal team to pursue full review before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, known as en banc review, or they could decide to expedite this and then hear the case immediately on the constitutional merits by formally requesting a petition for a writ of cert, as it is known in the legalese, to then actually hear the case on the actual substantive Article II constitutional question as to whether the, quote, executive power and commander-in-chief prerogative of the president of the United States would allow him the kind of sprawling immunity for his actions in office that would preclude a federal prosecution of this nature there. I'm expecting that decision as to whether to grant the stay to come down 
sooner rather than later. I continue to think that they will grant that stay. Then the only question really is whether they go ahead and hear the question directly on the substantive merits or whether they grant the Trump legal team what they seem to be preferring, seem to be requesting, which is a stay that would then allow them to first go to the D.C. Circuit on Bonk and then up to the Supreme Court. That really would be the Trump legal team's preferred strategy. We're tracking it here closely, of course, on America on Trial. Continuing down the line, let's go back to New York. And we're going to talk a little later in the show today about Alvin Bragg and his case, big day there in that case. But Let's talk just a second here about Justice Arthur Ngoron, who has who is the justice who is overseeing New York Attorney General Tish James's civil fraud case against the Trump organization. Tish James is seeking three hundred and seventy million dollars, my goodness, in in damages or at least up to that when it comes to the Trump organization. And, and this is the notion that the entire organization is essentially fraudulent. It's really a crazy case, frankly, when it comes to the possible chilling effects. If you're a small business owner looking to accumulate capital, if you're a venture capitalist trying to deploy capital, what kind of incentives does it say that the power of the state could be used against you to seek almost $400 million in damages there? Specifically, it's not just the damages, actually, that Tish James is seeking there in New York State. She's also seeking to just ban Donald Trump, period, from further conducting business in the New York real estate industry. Absolutely bone-chilling stuff that the power of the state can be used in this fashion. And this was this was a blockbuster trial in its own right. You had many high-profile people testify in this trial. You had Don Jr., you had Ivanka, you had Eric Trump. Closing arguments in this case were heard a little over a month ago, and we were expecting a, a, a verdict really as early as January 31st, which is right after we launched America on Trial, our show. But it was then quickly announced that it would be delayed a couple of weeks. So here we are. So all signs are pointing towards that ruling. Finally, that verdict, that ruling from Justice Ngoron coming down tomorrow, Friday, February 16th. That's what we're anticipating. We'll be all over it, of course, either on tomorrow's show or on Monday's show at the very latest. There is also... If that wasn't enough for you, there is a massive hearing today in the state of Georgia. We have been talking about this for a while now. This pertains to the allegations that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade are are disqualified, have essentially engaged in such grossly unethical conduct that, properly speaking, they should be disqualified from pursuing their RICO prosecution against Donald Trump and his many co-defendants there in the peach day when it comes to the uh, their attempts, as the prosecutors would phrase it, to quote-unquote overturn the election in the state of Georgia in the year 2020. Now, the crux of what we're going to be hearing in Judge Scott McAfee's Fulton County, Georgia courtroom today and tomorrow, this is going to be a two-day hearing down there in Georgia, the crux of what we are going to be hearing all stems from this motion to dismiss the indictment from a Trump co-defendant by the name of Michael Roman, who really did a great public service by bringing to the forefront. First, he, he really was the first to bring all this to our attention, the idea that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade were more than a tag team, were more than a Batman and Robin, were more than, than a peanut butter and jelly duo that goes nicely together, that they actually had a little, you know, thing going on in the bed sheets as well and not just in the courtroom. And sure enough, it, 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 Fonnie Willis did openly admit 
about a week, week and a half ago or so, she did openly admit that she has been engaged in an illicit romantic affair with Nathan Wade. And Nathan Wade has been going through his own divorce proceedings and all of that. And it, it's really quite out of a Hollywood script. It is, it is absolutely salacious and scandalous stuff there. The, the crux of what I expect this hearing today and tomorrow in Georgia to be discussing is going to be the question of the timeline. So Fonnie Wells and Nathan Wade told they, they have been, their public line, their, their public line has been that their relationship began in 2022, which is after Fonnie Willis hired Nathan Wade to the prosecutorial team to pursue these charges against Donald Trump and his co-defendants. This is an almost three-year-long investigation at this point. Nathan Wade is not technically part of the Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney's Office. He was hired from outside the staff there. So, the real question then is whether they were romantically involved before or after she made that hiring decision. It, it, arguably, you definitely could argue, and I expect Trump's lawyers will argue, that it doesn't matter. The very fact that they had or perhaps even continued to have some sort of romantic involvement while this whole thing is going on stinks to high heaven in and of itself. But the smoking gun here would be whether they were actually, whether they were actually sleeping together, whether they were actually shagging up before she went out on a limb and then hired him to be her special prosecutor pursuing charges against Trump back when she hired him in November of 2021. So we're, I'm expecting to get some testimony there. The big questions are whether Fonnie Willis is going to testify herself. Is Nathan Wade going to testify himself? The mainstream media predictably is making this into a racial issue because Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade happen to be black. And the New York Times editorial board is out on a limb saying, oh, how could you do this to a black prosecutor, to a black woman? It, it, absolutely hogwash. Totally, completely nonsensical here. It, it, it's really just gross. It, it, it's gross to make this into a racial issue. It reeks of everything that is wrong with the current mentality of the left in America, of the intersectional mindset of identity politics. It's just awful. This has absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with race. Rather, this has to do with the fact as to whether, the, on the one hand, the $650,000 that Nathan Wade has since cashed into his highfalutin bank account, as to whether that is tainted or compromised due to the fact that he has other incentives going on here and that Fonnie Willis has other incentives going on here, basically to pay off her lover, who, oh, by the way, has openly admitted to buying plane tickets for them to such destinations as Miami and San Francisco. That is taxpayer dollars, by the way. So that actually is really one of the big issues going on here. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do.
Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. The other issue closely related to that is whether Trump and his co-defendants are even having their due process rights protected. They are even having their their basic, most rudimentary constitutional rights protected when you have prosecutors who are engaged in this sort of conduct and are very clearly not necessarily acting in a way that would solely and exclusively pursue the public interest. So really explosive stuff there in Georgia. Donald Trump is a lucky, lucky man when it comes to this Georgia prosecution, folks. Many of us thought that this would be the the, the smoking gun. It's the Jack Smith probe in, in D.C., that sprawling 2020 electioneering, racketeering case. That is the crown jewel of the Biden regime and the Democrat media complex, no doubt. That Jack Smith case in D.C., where we discussed earlier the current procedural posture of that is at the Supreme Court when it comes to the immediate interlocutory question of presidential immunity. That is the crown jewel of the Biden regime is that case. But the potentially most damning case many of us thought for Trump, legally speaking, was the case in Georgia. And boy, oh boy, is Donald Trump lucky. The man is, he is just blessed with so many of the most outrageous and ridiculous enemies imaginable. And Fonnie Wills and Nathan Wade are playing right into that. We will see whether they are disqualified from that case there in Fulton County, Georgia. If they are, I think there is a very good chance that there is just no way, frankly, there's just no way that this trial will be completed before the November 2024 presidential election. So we're paying very, very close attention to what's going on there in the Georgia courtroom of Scott McAfee. Speaking of cartoon characters who Donald Trump is frankly blessed to have as his enemies, though, that brings us to our deep dive of the day which is one of our thus far lesser discussed cases on America on trial. I, I, ex- I expect, I anticipate that to change over the next few weeks, certainly over the next few months. And that would be the Alvin Bragg case. That would be the Alvin Bragg prosecution in New York State. It is the least heralded of the four, despite the fact that it was the first of the four prosecutions to drop, the first of the four indictments to ultimately come out. Last year, just under a year ago or so, the end of last March, early last April was around the time that these charges came out. And Donald Trump is actually expected to be there in the courtroom today in New York City when it comes to the justice in the case there. Justice Juan Merchant, who is the the judge presiding over this, this state trial involving Alvin Bragg, who was the district attorney, the prosecutor, the Soros-funded prosecutor in Manhattan, we're expecting to get a final ruling as to whether this case can actually go to trial as early as next month. As of now, that trial date is still tentatively scheduled to, to commence on March 25th. And we are expecting to find out today, maybe tomorrow, early next week at the latest, but potentially as early as today, whether that date is going to become essentially locked in, whether, whether it's going to be set in stone. Now, Alvin Bragg has 
suggested, and to me, I don't like the fact that these conversations are happening at all, but he has suggested in not-so-subtle fashion that he would essentially go to the side and make way if Jack Smith wanted to get his own federal prosecution in Washington, D.C. out of the starting gate first. What Alvin Bragg has effectively said is that, okay, man, if you want to go ahead and do this, I'll step to the side and let you hog the spotlight first. It's absolutely irksome, and it stinks to high heaven, frankly, that these sort of conversations, this sort of not-so-subtle collusion is even happening. Why in the world would a state prosecutor there in Manhattan, in New York County, New York, have anything to do whatsoever with a special counsel at the United States Department of Justice? It's awful, and it's frankly reminiscent of how Fonnie Willis has allegedly visited the Biden White House and the White House Counsel's Office numerous times, according to White House visitors' logs. This sort of collusion is exactly, exactly the sort of thing that has convinced large swaths of the American right, yours truly included, to properly view the justice system in a less-than-stellar light right now. It, it is just awful stuff. I hate the fact these conversations are even happening. But in any event, Justice Merchant is expected to rule in this case, this Alvin Bragg case today, whether that trial is going to kick off on March 25th. To just recap a little bit here as to what this case is about, this is the most legally frivolous of all four of the Trump criminal prosecutions. Again, Trump is expected to be there physically in the courtroom there in, in New York City today. This involves the alleged disbursement of so-called hush money payments right on the eve of the 2016 election. So Stormy Daniels, Stormy Daniels, if you, if you recall her, I mean, again, once, as we were saying, Trump is really blessed with the very best kind of enemies when it comes to cartoon characters like Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen, who are the two characters at the epicenter of this, on the one hand, hilarious, on the other hand, farcical prosecution in New York City. If you recall, right on the eve of the 2016 election, Stormy Daniels was trying to sell her story of shagging up with Trump and this and that, and she had some gratuitous comments about what his genitalia resembled, and perhaps she may or may not have said that it resembled a certain type of fungus, if, if one recalls. Not worth getting into that sort of sordid detail. She was trying to sell her story to the National Enquirer, uh, and the tabloid effectively turned that down, and then there was a so-called hush money payment, allegedly, that was secured between Michael Cohen, Trump's longtime fixer, and Stormy Daniels' lawyer, $130,000 is apparently what it was. Trump was then said to have reimbursed Michael Cohen after the actual election itself. Michael Cohen has since pled guilty to several federal crimes. He himself is, is, a, is a legally compromised figure, I think would be a, a, a polite way of saying it. So salacious facts— to put it mildly, there's also a, another former Playboy playmate, Karen McDougal, who makes her way into the fact pattern here. For present purposes, we're not going to get into Miss McDougal. We'll, 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 we'll stick to Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen there. This has always been a, a, a very, very, very tangentious, politically motivated case. Recall that Alvin Bragg, when he ran for DA, when he was running for prosecutor there in New York County, New York, because they sort of was funny guy, he was explicitly running on a Get Trump platform. Oh, by the way, recall that so was Tish James there in New York State as well. And Donald Trump's lawyers are trying to advance this argument. They have referred to this as a, quote, discombobulated package of politically motivated charges marred by legal defects. That's really nice purple prose and colorful rhetoric, and it also happens to be correct. It is really an, a, a crazy, crazy use 
of the prosecutorial power to review this. In fact, it was actually Alvin Bragg's predecessor there as DA in Manhattan. It was Cy Vance Jr., who looked into this, who absolutely looked into this prosecution, ultimately dismissed it because he didn't think it was legally sustainable. Alvin Bragg himself, after he became the district attorney, also initially looked into bringing charges on these grounds. And then initially, initially he decided that he agreed with his predecessor. He agreed with Cy Vance Jr. that it was legally untenable. And then you had some lower attorneys in the New York, New York DA's office who convinced their boss, Alvin Bragg, to ultimately go ahead with it. But Alvin Bragg's own instincts even told him not to go ahead and do this. That really says all you need to know there. So the actual New York State crime that is at issue here is the falsification of business records in the first degree. That is a criminal law under New York. It's a lower criminal law for which jail time, prison time is almost never doled out. It's pretty much always just a fine. Interestingly, there is a two-year statute of limitations under New York criminal law. So that statute of limitations should have expired years ago. In theory, that should be enough to dismiss the case. However, Alvin Bragg's theory of the case, his theory of the case seems to be that he can get around this statute of limitations and, oh, by the way, simultaneously enhance this from a misdemeanor to a felony by proving, and he would have to prove this beyond a reasonable doubt, that's the nature of criminal prosecution everywhere, that this alleged falsification of business records, this bookkeeping falsification involving the hush money payment from Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels, he would have to prove that is, Alvin Bragg, that this was done in furtherance of another crime. And that additional crime seems to be federal campaign law, federal campaign law and or New York state election law itself. There are, there are also other problems here, by the way. Uh, federal campaign law, for the most part, or at least the kind of federal campaign law that Alvin Bragg would be trying to invoke here, has itself a five-year statute, statute of limitations. Therefore, that has also been told. Also, a county district attorney is in no position whatsoever to be trying to pursue federal charges like that. That's not your job, bro. That should be for federal prosecutors, not for you. But the point here is that for all of this to proceed, he's going to have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the subjective intention of the so-called hush money payments was to make a political contribution to Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. In other words, what Alvin Bragg has to prove subjectively is that all of this was done to help Donald Trump get across the finish line against Hillary Clinton there in the final moments of the 2016 presidential campaign. It is not even remotely obvious that that was the actual reason for this. There are so many other reasons as to whether that would be the case. Donald Trump was not exactly known to try to hide his playboy, flirt, flirtatious, womanizing lifestyle for many decades of his life. Why in the world would his subjective mentality at this very time to be to help in a presidential election? It, it just doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. So it, it's an extraordinarily weak case. In any event, we're going to hopefully find out by the end of the day today whether or not that trial is actually going to kick off as anticipated on March 25th, just over a month from now. We'll be following that closely here on America on Trial as we're following all of the Trump legal drama. Once again, if you're not already doing so, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Give us that five-star review. It's been a real pleasure here to go ahead and get us started in the first few weeks of this crazy, crazy election cycle. Really no crazier news cycle than the present. 
Stay with us, of course, and we will be right back with more America on Trial tomorrow morning.